Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. An elderly man called Keith mislaid his set of false teeth. They'd been laid on a chair. He'd forgot they were there, sat down and was bitten beneath. I know that's silly. I'm in a silly mood, but I'm in a happy mood. This is Giles Brandwood, and I'm so happy because I'm with my friend Susie Dent. How are you, Susie? Hello. Um, I'm fine, thank you very much. Um, oh, that sounds a bit hesitant. Are you not well? Oh, no, I am well. I just have been madly busy. So I've been in the Countdown studio this week, which has been great. So we had 15 countdowns, which is for those who don't live in the UK or who have never seen this programme. It's a word and numbers game that Giles and I have both featured on. So I've been doing that and I've also been recording the audio version of my book. Oh, what is the, what's the book called again? It's called Word Perfect. You sent me an early copy of it and I have to say I was thrilled to be able to endorse it. I think you oh. are the mistress of the English language. You're brilliant. And when does it come out? You're lovely. First uh, of October. First of October. Yes. It, it is there is a, an avalanche of books out there this year, and there'll be even more next year because all the all we writers have been sitting at home bashing away books. But this one, if you love words and language, this is the book for you. This is the Christmas present that you <laughs> need this coming Christmas. Well, um, thank you. I only mention it because it's just been a very busy week. So I am absolutely, I'm, I'm very well, but I am looking forward to wrapping myself in my huffle buffs, which if you remember are those kind of old cosy clothes that we shuffle on and you can expand in, eat in, lie in, do whatever you like in. And I'm looking forward to getting into those and not getting out of them for a while. Well, I got in touch with you during the week because I've been having a very busy time too, because I'm making a television series. And this week I was filming in Dorset, a film about Thomas Hardy, more mm. about him another day. Thomas Hardy, a very great English novelist, but an equally great English poet, yeah. possibly the only great English writer who can claim to be equally great as a poet and as a novelist. If you mm. dispute that, do get in touch. I but, was in love with him when I was a teenager. Oh, uh, were you? Far from well, the Latin crowd. Yeah. And then the films. Do you remember the films with Julie Christie? I do. Oh, good grief. Yes. Yeah, anyway. Exactly. Well, there you are. You're our Tess of the D'Urbervilles. Oh, well, Tess as well. I mean, yeah. goodness. Well, people do say he understood women in a in a remarkable way, given you know, that he was born back in 1840. And the reason I uh, was in touch with you during the week, I texted you, was because in one of his stories, it is, I think, Tess the D'Urbervilles, he has a, a chapter which ends with one of the heroes of the book, or maybe he's an anti-hero, uh, literally clinging on 
at the cliff edge by his fingers and he's from the cliff. And I wondered if that was the origin of the expression cliffhanger, because it's mm. certainly a chapter in a book that ends with a fellow hanging off a cliff, cliffhanger. But you came back to me kindly, you looked it up in the dictionary and said you thought the first use of the phrase cliffhanger in relation to describing a book was in the 1930s. Yeah, it was 1930s in the US. So it would seem unlikely, given the gap, that Hardy popularised the the term. But, you know, there was the idea. And, of course, there was a great film as well, wasn't there, with Sylvester Stallone called Cliffhanger. The point is, when in doubt, get in touch with Susie Dent. And that's what people do (laughs) week in, week out. We're very privileged. We've been doing this now for a couple of years, Something Rhymes with Purple. Every Tuesday is a new edition. We talk about words and language if you're new to the show. It's basically etymology, but it's also life. Susie gives us the substance. I occasionally do my best to interrupt. And um, I interrupt less on weeks when my wife has said, do not interrupt so much. People don't like it. But that's what the show is. We have so much correspondence. We can't cover it all. We do read it all. But we thought we'd devote the whole of today to other people's questions. Uh, So get in touch with us via email, via Twitter, and let us know what you want to ask. Who shall we start with? You've got the mountain of correspondence there, Susie. I have. Well, just a recap, because we got an email from Richard Donovan, who says, I remember when Susie revealed which word does rhyme with purple. Unfortunately, I don't remember what that word was. Please, could you refresh my memory? And um, I can. Well, we can, because we get asked this a lot, don't we, Giles? People, strangers in the street, come up and say, <laughs> why do you call it something rhymes with purple? I say, because something does rhyme with purple. I didn't think anything did, but Susie told me the word is herple, H-I-R-P-L-E. What does it mean? It means to walk with a limp. But, you know, there are some other things as well that rhyme. There's a Scottish word, kerple, C-U-R-P-L-E, which can mean the rump of a horse or, Ooh. by extension, of a person as well. Um, oh, and in remind fact, me what a single, a prat is a single buttock, isn't it? A prat is a single buttock and a kerple is a double prat. There's a great quote in the OED from Robert Burns, and I'm not going to be able to do the Scottish accent, but it's, I'd be mad vaunty o'er my hap, does hinging o'er my kerple, than proud imperial purple. So there you go. I, I, I didn't know Burns was Swedish. How marvellous. <laughs> I know, I'm really sorry. No, I, but I, the I'm end is of... rather good. The proud imperial purple. Yes, it is associated with... Uh, it's an imperial colour. Does that go, go back to the Romans? Yes, and it goes back to the ink that was extracted from mollusks in order to provide the colour purple. And because it was so expensive and so exotic, it actually became associated with the elite. When we were talking about military terms last week, about the Purple Heart, the highest honour, the American equivalent, I think, of the VC, mm. the Purple Heart. Mm. And I wanted to know the origin of that. And I hope there may be a, a purple listener who has a purple heart or a member of their family does who can enlighten us on that. So there's purple, there's herple. Anything else? No, I would say not in general usage. You might find some really obscure words in the corner of the dictionary, but those those are the ones that we were thinking of. Um, sticking with the word purple, Lawrence Krzyzenek writes to say, love the show. This is getting a bit like Steve Wright, isn't it? Lawrence has a question about something rhymes, something rhyming with the word purple. He says, everyone says there's nothing, but my simple question is, why isn't turtle a rhyme with purple? Well, it's a half rhyme, isn't it? It's not a full rhyme, that one. It isn't. It is a half rhyme. People keep saying that. Turtle. It's a It's, you know, I suppose the last two letters do. The la. Yes. The la. Yes. But it is, you're correct to call it a half rhyme. 
Yes. Um, and Lawrence is in Hertfordshire. He says, boringly in the UK, but not at all, Lawrence. Um, Hertfordshire is beautiful. And You say Hertfordshire. Other people would say Hertfordshire. Ah. They don't know why. The T is silent. Probably as if you in, live there, you reckon. As in Harlot. Um Jean Harlow. And Jean Harlow. Yeah. That's, <laughs> we love the we love the Eldricks. I honestly don't know. I mean, you did you see what the, the money Zoe Ball is getting? Did you yes. see that? Yes. Why aren't you doing the breakfast show, Susie Dent? You <sighs> do it. Can I say you do it for half the money and just as well? Oh, well, no, I, I, love I, I, I love Zoe. I love I love her. I've always loved her. I like her even yeah. more now. I need her around to her place. Not <laughs> just to well borrow a cup of sugar, but to borrow a few hundred smackers. <laughs> I'm saying Susie Dent for Radio 2. In the morning. Thank you. Um, but Matt, I think probably, maybe between midnight and two a.m. That that would probably be my niche. I have another question here. Um, they, don't, this, they don't pay much for that. Oh, okay, maybe not. Yeah, I'm not a night elf. Being on late night would certainly give me a migraine. And I had oh, a tweet yes. from a purple listener asking what the history of migraine is. And I like this one because I like the fact that English is full of so many kind of hidden etymologies. And this is one. It was kind of it, it came to us in disguise, really, because its story began with the Greek cranion or cranion, a skull, which went straightforwardly via Latin into English cranium. But then the word kind of came in again with the Greek hemicrania or hemicrania, which was a pain on one side of the head. So, you know, hemi, um, you've got hemisphere, etc. Hemi means half. And old French took up hemicrania as it was then and they, they kind of mangled it a bit and it the, the he just got left off and so it became migraine and then migraine with the as i say the hemi was then in disguise but it was all about what a migraine and those unfortunate enough to suffer them from them they know all about it. it's usually a really throbbing pain on one side of the head so that half is hidden in the word migraine but it is still there does that make sense it makes total sense. I used to suffer from migraines. When Do you call them migraines or migraines? I got picked up by Colin Murray on Countdown. He said, is migraine the posh version of migraine? I've got a migraine. I'd say a migraine. Yeah. I've well, that's closer to the French. We can say we're etymological. Migraine. Yeah, exactly. As my yes. wife would say, though, me, 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 Jas. That's all it is with you. <laughs> uh, but I used to have migraines when I was a member of the House of Commons. Mm. And I would come out of the chamber of the house and go and sit in the library, my favourite room in the world, the Library of the House of Commons, overlooking the River Thames. They have lovely leather wow. armchairs. And I, the migraine with me makes me see double, oh. so that you, you can almost not walk along the street because you, you're not quite Horrible. sure where you're walking. Yeah. But t 20 minutes lying on one of these leather armchairs with my eyes closed, the migraine would completely go. Amazing. So that's for but me But no more migraine since you left politics, eh? That, that was a good reason for getting out. Yeah. Anyway, on mm. we go. So yes. uh, if, if one has, actually, do you have headaches? How do you soothe your headaches if you have them? I don't really. My entire family has migraines, actually, and I have been really lucky in um, escaping them. I occasionally do get a headache, which is usually just a sign that I need to slow down a little bit. But no, I don't really suffer from them. And I did think I had COVID, actually, because I had a throbbing headache for about five days, but that was my only symptom. So who knows? What was the cause of that, I wonder? Anxiety. Okay. Were you just trying Probably. to finish your book at the time? You're, Probably. You're and I'm a worrier, as you know. Um, I do know. So, yeah. it's, it's, and can I say what I, I, I text uh, Susie? I mean, it's a bit intimate now to reveal this to you. I text her most nights simply with the message, it's going to be all right. Oh, I wish you That's did. That's what I, no. I Maybe I did. should be there pouring essential oils on you. 
Uh, essential oils. Why are they called? Somebody tweeted us this question. Mm. Why are they called essential oils? What's essential about these oils? Ah, uh, yes. Well, the first meaning of essential was not indispensable, but just something that was extracted from the essence of a plant or, you know, whatever, which is why essential oils are the ones that are the purest because they're extracted from the essence of a herb or, um, as I say, or a botanical plant of some kind. Um, so that's why we have essential oils. And so the idea that the essence of something was actually the most crucial part, and then it gave us the indispensable meaning of it. Hi, Susie and Giles. Thank you so much for keeping me company this year. I discovered your podcast during lockdown, and it really has been the best of tonics to an otherwise emotionally turbulent year. Oh. Thank you. This is from Laura Costello. Lovely thing mm. to write. Uh, I just read the phrase blue murder in the context of someone screaming blue murder and wondered where the phrase comes from. Well, it's yes, I would myself love to know a little bit more about this. I mean, blue is used in so many different ways. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. So a blue joke probably goes back to the blue gowns worn by prostitutes that they were forced to wear in prison. So the idea of being kind of bawdy and obscene came from that. Or also it's said that censors used to use a blue pen when they were expurgating offensive texts. So you've got that, you've got blue as in the cerulean azure gorgeousness of a cloudless sky. So you've got that kind of peace and serenity from that. And then you've got blue murder. What, what we do know is that it is a riff on the French morbleu. To sing out morbleu in French was a great terror of alarm. But yes, to shout, yell, roar murder was around before the blue came in. And we think maybe the blue there was simply an intensifier. But to be honest, we just don't know. Blue has been taken as the colour of melancholy. It's been taken as the colour of plagues and other harmful things. So it's had quite a life, blue. Could it be a euphemism for bloody? Possibly. I don't know. Yes, I mean, if you're saying be. it's an intensifier. It might well be. Because you're I right. I mean, there's the, the yeah. phrase cry havoc. It's yes. an old phrase like scream murder or cry murder. Yes, and, and the blue is just giving it more emphasis. Yeah, and as I say, I think, you know, it is the colour of melancholy. To have the blues, I've mentioned before, is a shortening of the blue devils. And the blue devils were said to beset you when you had a troubled mind, but particularly when you were trying to withdraw from alcohol. So it was the DTs. So there's all of that kind of association, I suppose, packed into the word blue, which is why I think it was added on to murder. They also used to cry hot beef on the streets of 19th, 18th century London, which meant hot stop. Hot beef? Why did they cry hot, hot beef? beef? It meant stop thief. It was rhyming slang. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> You'd run out the streets saying hot beef. Hot beef. Hot beef, meaning stop thief. Stop them. That's hilarious. I, I can't believe that ever happened. That's funny, isn't it? It's ridiculous. Hot beef. Laura doesn't get the blues, though, because A, she listens to us, which is lovely. But B, she's invented the most amusing game, which mm. she shared with us. She has a cheese festival. She and her sister have come up with this. They've organized a cheese festival and they're getting different musical acts to appear at the cheese festival. Their yeah. top liner is Stilton John. <laughs> <laughs> Who else have they got? Um, is this imagine? the one which had Fetter James? Fetter James, Fetter James, not Fetter bad. Fetter James is brilliant. And my favourite. Yeah. Briancy. Briancy. Oh. You see, you love this kind of thing because this is the sort of thing that got you through lockdown, wasn't it? Playing games. Just, and in yes. fact, we are going to have, I hope, as Christmas approaches, a word game special. Yes. We're going to play word games with, uh, because I think it's a good way of the family, if uh, the six of you, if you're allowed six, well, and yeah. the different generations there. You can uh, play a word game or you can Zoom one another and play a word game if you're not able to meet anymore. 
Now, chicken pox. Okay. Oh, chicken pox. This is oh, another dear. Twitter question. Yeah. What's chicken in chicken pox? What's uh, the chicken all about? That's a very good question. Well, we think it is because chicken pox is a milder version of smallpox. And smallpox, of course, before Edna Jenner came along, is it Edward Jenner? Um, it was really, you know. Is he horrible. one of the Kardashians? <laughs> <laughs> and really affected lots and lots of people. And chickens have long been associated, rightly or wrongly, with cowardice. You know, if you chicken out of something and kind of running away and clucking a lot. And so I think the idea was that it was just a sort of milder version. It was just a, you know, a smaller, less effective and less powerful version of the smallpox. Pox on its own means what? You've got the pox. When that's yeah. used in Shakespeare, I always think it means some kind of venereal disease. Oh, he's got the pox, but maybe yeah. not. Well, it was, yeah, syphilis it was, wasn't it? But then it also could be smallpox. But it's it, the pox was a viral disease that essentially produced a rash that, sorry about this for anyone who's munching on a biscuit, became pus-filled and then left pox marks as it healed. Oh, so pox idea. are to do with pox marks? Yes. A P-O-X, is it a Latin? Is it as in... No, it all comes from, uh, well, in Old English, you had pock, which meant a pustule, and that was of Germanic origin. And in fact, still in German, you'll have a pocker for the same thing. So yes, not Latin this time. It was all from our Germanic ancestors. So the pocks are, is a shortened version of pustules, as yes. it were. Yes. And then there are different kinds of things that are affected in this way, smallpox being a serious one, chickenpox being milder. Exactly. What is the origin of cockroach? What's mm. the cock doing there? That's another Twitter query. Yes, there is no cock in cockroach. This is one of the ones where we couldn't get our mouths around a foreign tongue. Remember the Jerusalem artichoke that has nothing to do with Jerusalem and goes back to the French girasol, a sunflower, because the artichoke is in the sunflower family, because we couldn't pronounce it girasol. We said, oh, it sounds a bit like Jerusalem. We'll call it that. And it's the same for the cockroach, because it comes from the Spanish cucaracha. I can't, my Spanish is not very good. Cucaracha. So C-U-C-A-R-A-C-H-A. But because we couldn't pronounce that, and I've just given you ample illustration of that, we changed the spelling because it sounded a bit like cock and then roach. Even though roach is a freshwater fish and it doesn't look like a cock. Excuse me. <laughs> well, there we are. You've led a fairly sheltered life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, obviously I've not seen the right ones. <laughs> we now go to Canada. I love going to Canada. I'm thrilled. I have Canadian family mm. um, and I know Toronto well. Some of my kinfolk come from Etobicoke. This is from Ajax. Uh, it's a part of Toronto, mm -hmm. uh, I think, as I seem to remember. Anyway, it's um, Anna Lee has been in touch. Hello, Susie and Giles. Love your podcast. Thank you. I've listened to your whole library of episodes. Oh, yes. All 77 of them are there if you want to go back and see how our voices have developed over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. I discovered you a couple of months ago, having withdrawal symptoms now, that I have to wait for oh. your regularly scheduled programs, or maybe that's oh. scheduled in Canada. Anyway, hmm. she sends a list of phrases and wonders who certain people in these phrases are. For example... Hunky Dory. Who's the Dory mm. in Hunky Dory? 
Yes, and were they hunky? A bit unknown, this one. There's quite a few theories attached to it. So hunky comes from the Dutch honk, which meant home or base. So if you were playing a game and you wanted to, you know, say be in safety, you would you would shout honk. So I guess you're safe then. So everything is hunky-dory then. We don't know about the dory, but one theory is that, and I can't pronounce the Japanese, but it's something like honchidori in Japanese, was a street... In Japan, where soldiers who were on shore leave, so that must have been by the sea, would visit the brothels, basically. The idea is that the streets brought satisfaction, so everything was hunky-dory. But that's just one, I have to say, of several theories. What about John Dory? Is that that's a fish, isn't it? John Dory is a fish. Uh, is is a fish? Is a fish? If you caught a big John Dory and served it on the table, do you say, "Oh, that's a hunky-dory"? Uh, I don't think it came for that. I think the dory and the John dory is linked to to the colour, so dore, oh. meaning gilded. And the dorado is an edible fish which has got a gold, well, in South America, it's got a golden body and red fins. So I think, well, I think they're all linked. What about hunky dory, meaning hunky as in big, like a hunk, gorgeous and big, mm. dory as in golden? Gorgeous, big well, and golden. You just it's hunky dory. It couldn't yeah. be better. We honestly, it could it could well be. There are so many theories out there. It's one of those ones. But I know that Annalie also mentions heavens to Betsy, and I'm afraid I have to say I do not know. I know that phrase because I've been asked it over the years by many countdown viewers. Heavens to Betsy being a kind of you know exclamation, which I think is American. Um, yeah. But why who the Betsy was, I don't know. I suspect again, lots of um, lots of theories. I mean, one theory about Betsy and heavy, Heavens to Betsy is that Betsy was Betsy Ross, I think it was, who stitched the first American flag. And, you know, it probably is eponymous, but we don't know why. If you know why, please let us know. Purple at somethingelse.com. I know nothing. Susie knows almost everything. Uh, not quite everything. So no, if you've, I don't. If you've got the answer, purple at somethingelse.com. Let's take a quick break. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Also from something else. Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Join Katie for a series of powerful and inspirational conversations with people who have triumphed over adversity. With guests including Fern Cotton. And what about when you get really lazy journalism? So like people that draw just one line, they take it out of context. And that's really sad because... It is, it is. And I've also been on the receiving end of it so, mm. so many times. Sometimes to really tragic levels for me where I've really not felt able to cope with it. Yeah. Zoe Sugg and Nadia Hussein. I think the, f the thing with women, firstly, is that women sometimes don't always 
like to see other women succeed. Mm-hmm. And I, I, th- I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of that. And I think that's why just it, it's really hard sometimes because it, 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 in the last four years, I've changed so much. Mm. Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. Welcome back to Something Rhymes with Purple, where we have dedicated an entire show to you and your questions because you have been sending in some absolutely fabulous ones. And if I don't know the answer, it will always get me scurrying around in the dictionary um, trying to find it out. So please keep them coming. Um, you can email us at purple at something else.com and we do absolutely read them all and we really enjoy them. So thank you. Giles, have you got another one? Yes. Hi, Susie and Giles. I discovered your podcast about a week. Ago, good grief. Oh. And I cannot stop listening to it. Eh? <laughs> Note one exclamation mark. We were talking a few weeks ago about punctuation and multiple exclamation marks. A thing favoured by the royal family. Queen Victoria loved her exclamation marks. I've been promoting it to all my friends. That may explain, thank you, Emia, the spike in our listening figures. I've been promoting <laughs> it to all my friends. And on Thursday of this week, while spending time with my best friend, for some reason, we started discussing a baker's dozen. Ah. I love interesting facts. And so I asked him if he knew why there are 13 in a baker's dozen, which he did. As he came to the end of his explanation, he uttered the words, the 13th loaf is in case one of the others don't pan out. (laughs) As he said, we both realized the significance of the phrase. And so my question is, is this where the phrase pan out originated? Well, this is from Emir Jenkins. Call me MZ. No one can say Emir. For your information, it's a boy's name in Welsh. Mm, okay. Well, I can answer that. I'm not sure I can answer the pronunciation question, but I can answer the pan out question. Um, nothing to do with bread and everything to do with gold, because uh, it goes back to the gold rush of California, when it's said that two thirds of the male population of San Francisco actually rushed to the newly discovered gold field of California. And all sorts of words came from there. So if you might talk about, I'm not sure it's a bit dated now, but you might talk about your student digs. Digs actually goes back to the digging to the dwellings that were dug out of the ground near the gold fields in order to house and accommodate the prospectors, but also build cafes, build restaurants and things. Those were the diggings, which were eventually shortened to digs. And pan out also comes from there because when the prospectors were sifting through the gravel, they would use a kind of sieve-like pan. So if you imagine a colander these days, there was the kind of bit that would catch the big bits of metal or other gravel. And they were trying to sift the gravel from the metal. And if they found a nugget of gold in amongst the earth that they had dug up, it had panned out. Very good. Is he right, or rather is his friends, MZ's friend, right about the origin of Baker's Dozen? Why are there 13 in the baker's dozen? Well, a few theories, but the the most widely accepted one is that in medieval England, there were laws that related the price of bread to the price of the wheat used to make it. And if bakers were found to be cheating their customers by overpricing undersized loaves, they would incur a fine or even occasionally a flogging. Um, And so in order to make sure they didn't accidentally come up short, they'd throw in a bit extra. And that was an extra loaf. So a baker's dozen was 13, sometimes even 14, in fact, just to make sure they didn't flout the law. Oh, I'd always thought it was something to do with uh, Jesus and the 12 apostles and the 13th no. one being Judas, being the bad lot. Don't but think no, that clearly that not. No. You know, if God had meant us to go metric, he wouldn't have given Jesus 12 disciples. Boom, boom. 
Ba-boom. Because you remember you used to be 12. Of course, I'm saying that now. It's a sort of, that's a joke from about 40 years ago. I remember when we went metric. It was probably before you were born. Ineffable. What mm. does ineffable mean? And what's the F in ineffable? What's it all about? What's the in in it? Why? It, well, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting okay. word. What is it? Unwrap ineffable. Okay. Do you remember me going on about orphaned negatives? Um, probably a long time ago in the podcast, but orphaned negatives, it's just such a sad, lonely term for basically words that are now negative, but that once had a positive counterpart. Oh, like um, unkempt. Exactly. Unkempt, gormless, unruly, uncouth. And for some reason, the positive ones have just disappeared and we're stuck with the kind of grumpy, sad, lonely ones. So you could be ept, you could be ruth, which was full of compassion. You could be gormful if you were full of heed. You could be descript. You could be flappable. You could be defatigable. You could even be gainly. But yes, F, you don't, we don't tend to think of effable. Well, it actually goes back to the Latin effare, which meant to speak out. So it's ex, out and fari, to speak or say. And you'll find relatives of that fari in fable, which is a story told, and the adjective affable, someone who you would like to talk to. So if something is effable, it is capable of being uttered or expressed. It is sayable. Where something is ineffable, it's either something that you just can't describe, like the you know, someone's got a, a je ne sais quoi, a kind of X factor about them, an ineffable quality, or it's something that is just so unthinkable that you don't even want to talk about it. So ineffable has got that kind of dual life. It means the unsayable, basically. Ineffable means the unsayable. Mm. That's wonderful. And you could be effable. Something could be sayable. That's effable. Yes, you could be effable and uh, nothing to do with the F word. Great. Well, that's very useful. Okay. Here's one from Rebecca Lawrence from Bristol. She emails to say, what is the origin of the word lukewarm? Mm. Where did Luke get in on the act? (laughs) Yes, who is Luke? Luke? Well, actually, there wasn't a Luke. And lukewarm is actually a bit of a a tautology because it goes back to the dialect lew, L-E-W, which meant lukewarm. It meant somewhat warm. So you're actually saying somewhat, somewhat warm when you say lukewarm. And that's all there is to say about it. So luke means what on its own? It meant lukewarm. So luke itself meant moderately warm. Oh, how interesting. So I should be saying, oh, this tea is luke. Yes. It started off as L-E-W, then it became luke and then uh, lukewarm. So yes. Oh, I'm loving it. I'm going to say, oh, my (laughs) my bath water. Oh, it's a bit luke. I'm liking that. Yeah. Cut to the chase. Forget lukewarm. It's Luke. <laughs> Luke. Um, we have some correspondence from Romania, so which oh. is fantastic. Diana Carmen, who um, said that her partner and, and she listened to the podcast in the car and they start questioning the words they're using, which is brilliant. And the most ardent question for them was, what is the etymology of decent? And is it related to century? Because you've got the cent hundred in there. Or even, I suppose, is it related to the deck, as in decagon, ten-sided? Um, the answer is no, Diana, but I understand why you're thinking about numbers, because to decimate uh, originally, as everyone knows, was to kill one in 10 people before it was applied much more loosely to killing a lot of people. So I can understand why you think the link might be there, but it's not. In fact, it goes back to the Latin decere, D-E-C-E-R-E, which means to be fitting. And if something is fitting and suitable, then of course it's decent, decent enough. So that's quite a simple one. Any more? We're running out of time, Susie, so no more questions. But this 
Have you got this letter from Daniel Jude in Los Angeles, California? I have, I have. Now, it was because we were talking about squeaky bum time and you gave the definition, but not the origin. Tell us, what does he say about this, Daniel? Mm, he says he learned recently in an article by Laurie Whitwell of The Athletic, who credits Daniel Taylor's book, This Is The One, that it almost wasn't called squeaky bum time at all, but for a vote by a handful of journalists present at the press conference. And um, he's given us a, a quote here. So it says, after listening back to tapes, others believed it was squeeze your bum time. And this was uttered by the legendary Manchester United manager, Sir Alex Ferguson. And they were trying to work out what he'd said. Was it squeeze your bum time? Was it squeaky bum time? And after listening back to tapes, a vote was taken and by a slim majority of four to three with two abstentions, squeaky bum time was born. So rather than the image of buttocks being clenched to the point of popping, as in squeeze your bum time, we think of the taut noise from a person squirming in their plastic seat. I love that. I love that. And I'm going to tell that to Rachel Riley, who I work with on Countdown and who is an absolute obsessive Manchester United fan. So thank you for that, Daniel. Is there one particular word or phrase that you relish that you really don't know the origin of that maybe somebody out there could help you on? Oh, gosh, there's so many kind of mysteries. Well, the one that, that most etymologists will say is we want to know where dog comes from because it's it's a word with such a kind of mysterious etymology. No one knows where it suddenly, it suddenly appeared from nowhere. Dog, it as in woof woof, the canine. Yes, it replaced hund and hound, which came from our Germanic ancestors, but no one knows where dog came from. Well, I've always assumed dog was simply God, spelt backwards. Oh, they are amazing, aren't they? They are wonderful. We love now, them. what are your three great words for the week? This is Susie's trio. She chooses genuine words with extraordinary meanings or extraordinary words with interesting meanings and shares them with us. And those of us who are sharp note them down and try to put them into our vocabulary. What have you got? <laughs> okay, so if you are a thermopot... I don't know if you remember, I mentioned theist, which obviously means devoted to a god, but which has a secondary meaning of addicted to tea drinking, as used by Shelley of himself. If you are a thermopot, you are a drinker of hot drinks. So that one will encompass coffee drinkers as well, which I yeah, quite like. Who don't want their coffee luke. Exactly. Absolutely right. You are a thermopot then. So policitation. Ooh. This is P-O-L-L-I-C-I-T-A-T-I-O-N. A felicitation is an offer made, but not yet accepted. So if you've invited your friends round and they might be waiting for a better offer, they have taken your felicitation, but haven't yet responded. Oh, felicitation. Very yes. good. Yes, I like that one. And um, okay, so then the other one, remember last uh, in the last programme, we talked about a Lance Corporal. Yes. And how it came to, it w went back to someone who had worked so hard and who had seen such battle that their, that their lance was broken and mm -hmm. showed the life that they had led. Well, it actually comes, it, it does come from that, but the original word was a lance presado. So it's L-A-N-S-P-R-E-S-A-D-O, a, -S -S -A, -D -O, a lance presado, which occurs in a 1736 dictionary of thieves slang, where it's defined as he that comes into company company with but two pence in his pocket. In other words, it's the person who turns up in the pub and accidentally has forgotten their wallet. Oh, I love that. A lance presado. How do we spell it again? L-A-N-S-P-R-E-S-A-D-O. I know quite a few of those. A lance <laughs> presado. Yes. 
Oh, that, yes, that is oh, absolutely brilliant. Now, look, I'm going to give you one of my silly limericks again, because oh, I love the fact that children and quite young children listen to our podcast, so I've got another silly limerick. Excellent. But I've been thinking about more serious poetry in recent weeks, because mm. since National Poetry Day on the 1st of October until the end of November, uh, there's a wonderful scheme called Poetry Together. And the idea is we're encouraging people to uh, record a poem on their iPhone, a short poem, no more than a minute, and put it out there on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever they like. And so I'm going to do some, and I want you to choose a proper poem, maybe mm-hmm. a favourite poem of yours, maybe a Thomas Hardy, maybe mm-hmm. if you and record it one day, mm-hmm. uh, either with, a, with you recording it or you can photograph a flower as you speak it and put it out there on social media. Because I'm thinking as lockdown is returning in some parts of the country and maybe more parts of the country, who knows how it develops, poetry is a good thing. Poetry is good good for us. It stimulates the imagination. Even if you don't understand the poems always, the words are lovely. Can I just give a shout out to a friend, actually? Of um, course. And who we've mentioned before, Samuel West, the actor. Oh, yes. Who has done the most amazing initiative on Twitter, whereby for every single day of lockdown, he either recorded himself or got someone else to record a poem that they loved. And I did one for him. So I will give that to you. But also for anyone who loves poetry, do visit his Twitter feed because it is just full of the most amazing poetry. I'm absolutely with him on that. And he's got some funny Twitter name, hasn't he? Yes, it's yeah. Exit, Exit the, the Lemming. Exit the Lemming. Yeah, so that's that's the way to find uh, young Sam West. He is completely brilliant. The best Richard II I've ever seen, really? by the way. Really? But this, as well as having great actors like Sam West and extraordinary personalities like Susie Dent putting their poems online, hashtag poetry together, we want real people Real people, whatever you are in the world to do this. If you're listening to us in Romania or in California or in Canada, just choose a short poem. Funny, sad, sweet, sorrowful, gay, whatever you want. Put it online and let's share some poetry together. There was an old man from Milan whose limericks never would scan. When told this was so, he said, yes, I know. But I always try to get as many syllables into the last line as I most possibly can. (laughs) That sounds like the punchline to my joke where I just kind of whitter and then tail off. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Do keep getting in touch with us because we we do absolutely love it. Purple at somethingelse.com. Something Rhymes With Purple is a Something Else production. It was produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Grace Laker and Jay Beale. Jay Beale. I like the sound of that. He's taken over from Carly. <laughs>